Welcome to the podcast of Dr. Michael Jacobs. We believe today's message will help you walk in faith and have victory now. I'm going to talk to you tonight about miracles, and I'm going to do something a little different. I, I know Dr. Dufresne ministered to me about miracles. I may have it on this page or may not. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I wanted to, let's go, let, first of all, let's go over here to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 to get started. Just get started. Just lay a little groundwork here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to give you the verse in just a minute. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And then I wanted, to, I wanted to read this first. This Pastor Nancy ministered to me at my church in September 2022. Yeah, that'll be a year this coming September. She called me up and said, Dr. Jacobs, there's an increase of that miracle anointing another degree, a greater degree of that, and the more you minister here, there's going to be an impartation into this at another level. I don't know how to say it anyway other than that. And she was talking some about me talk, teaching in the church that my son pastors now, but she also went on to say, every time you minister something, it's going to be imparted into the place and into the voice of this place carries. The pastor will recognize it, the congregation will recognize it, and it's needed in the earth. The earth needs it. There is a famine in the earth of people who know the Spirit. Amen. Amen. I remember Dad Dufresne told me one time, I can, fly, I can find plenty of preachers that teach the Word, but I can't find men that know how to move in the Spirit wow. like you, Dr. Jacobs. Amen. Well, thank you. <laughs> if he said that to me, it meant something. Other people might mean something, may not mean nothing. But we're looking here, 1 Corinthians 2, just to get us started, and I'm going to lay a little foundation with you. Uh, verse 1, and I, brethren, when I came to you, and are you in the right place with me? Okay, I came not with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except that Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now think about that. What I'm talking to you about, I don't know if I've ever preached it like this. I preached the message, but it's a little different tonight. I'm going to talk about miracles in more of a generic tone. So I would say to you this way, maybe it'd be simpler. Whatever you have a heart to believe for that's a miracle, if you're believing for something that's going to take a miracle, I want you to get up here with me at the end. I'm going to lay hands on you and agree. I don't need to know all your particulars. I just, I'm going to agree with you that miracles are going to begin. The miracle you need, the most predominant thing, is going to happen to you. So if you'll let me preach this to you, your faith will get in you because we've got a lot more to say about it. But I'm just talking about our faith needs to be in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. You know? I'm not trying to talk you into it. I'm feeding you to get you where you could release your faith for a miracle. We say, well, I've never done that. Well, why don't you start tonight? Who's limiting you? You are. The devil can't. But it says in the Bible, you know, Psalm 78, 41, they limited the Holy One of Israel. They tempted him and limited him. You know, that was us. That was the old people of Israel in that day. But people do it all the time. 
you know, in my life, I've seen it for 45 years. 52, I've been saved, but 45 in full-time ministry. And people just limited him. Was I would say, well, you could have that. Well, I don't believe that. I said, well, then you can't have it if you don't believe it. <laughs> you have to believe for it. Yeah. And if you could see it, you wouldn't need to believe for it. You'd have it. Faith is for the things that you can't see, and miracles are out there kind of extraordinary things. So let me just read you a couple of things here. I'm going to read you some of the miracles that I've witnessed and was a part of. I'm not bragging, but there's things that happened in my life and ministry. I'm talking about miracles, and I want to read a couple of comments here. Faith releases miracles into our midst. Dr. Ed Dufresne said that. The greatest enemies for, to miracles are human reasoning and religion. Human, you know, we try to reason it all out in our head. And let me just say it like he would say, get out of your head. Your head is limited. I mean, I'm not talking about your education. You could spread out your education, be very extremely intelligent. And I teach people they ought to go to school for whatever they feel they want to do with their life. My God, get trained and be the best you can be. And it takes, sometimes, I don't know, this generation, they just want everything in 10 days or forget it. I just keep on going. I, I, you ever been set back many a time? But I learned to just railroad over top of the devil and never quit going. Yeah. So don't let a human reasoning talk you out of it or religion. That may be people you live with. That may be people you're associated with in your family. I don't know. I know it's a deal. The love of God, excuse me, the love of the world, Dr. Summerall speaking here, the love of the world is the barricade keeping Christians out of the supernatural. You know, when you love the world more than you love the church, when you love the world more than you love Jesus, that's the way I would say it. Uh, and so you don't get miracles by praying. This is Kenneth Hagin. That's a revelation to most people right there. You don't get it by praying. He says you get miracles through boldness of preaching. Kenneth E. Hagin. You can't have miracles. I don't know who said that. It says unknown. You can't have miracles without bold preaching. Healing is the renewal of the body from a disease condition, but a miracle is of the creative order. Something's created. I remember when I got filled with the Holy Ghost that very day, God talked to me about a young girl in my church. Uh, let's call her Andrea. And she was 10 years old. She'd had tooth put in her ears four times. By, she, by the time she was 10, and the fluid would never get out of her ears completely, so it began to rot her eardrum from the inside out, and she's beginning to be deaf now. She can't hear very well at all. The husband and wife took her to the doctor and the surgeons. They examined her, and they were going to do this major surgery on her. Uh, it was on a Saturday morning. I got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues. I was going to a Baptist Bible school, but I got that because I was hungry. And I read a book by a Presbyterian. All I knew about Presbyterians was cone hats, incense, and candles. But this guy was really on it and really, really spiritual. What was his name? Dennis Bennett. Dennis and Rita Bennett wrote that book. And I only read five pages. I fell on my knees and said, God, I need this. I don't care who it separates me from or brings me to. And I wrote out here about that. It was 1978. So I got filled on a Saturday morning. Saturday afternoon, God started talking to me about Andrea. I want you to call her parents, ask them if you can pray for them tomorrow. I think their parents said, go ahead, but I think they were being cute. <laughs> Thinking the pastor wants to lay his hands on her for something. No, I want to lay my hands on her because God said, I want you to minister to this girl. I'm going to give her a miracle. 
And I prayed that way, but I think they thought I was just bluffing. So they took her in the next Friday. That was Sunday morning. Uh, and then the next Friday, they took her to the hospital. The, you know, one of the nurses came out and got her. They'd already know, seen her and show, examined her. So they went back for 15 minutes and they brought her back to her parents and said, we're the surgeons. We, this is the same girl. We remember seeing her face and we know it's her, but everything is fixed. Everything that needed fixed in there is fixed. And we didn't, we didn't cut her. We didn't touch her. <laughs> what happened? And that father got mad at me and God. And he called me that night, actually cussed me out. I said, what is wrong with you? And I said, are you her father or not? Well, you know I am, Pastor Jacobs. I said, well, you're not acting very nice about it. Here, God did it for you. I didn't do it. God just told me to lay my hands and believe him. And he did the whole thing. She's not been in any pain. They're going to cut her head open do it like that and just and they said we can't even guarantee we can get her to here yeah, yeah. and God did it all it didn't cost you anything your daughter didn't go through a lot of pain and you're mad about it I don't understand you I'm not coming back to your stupid church good I don't need you anyway now there was a twofold thing the, the devil was trying to back me off because that one of the first not the first but one of the first miracles I ever that there was a creative act I just prayed a simple prayer, laid my hands on her on Sunday morning. I wasn't used to even doing that. I called a pastor that knew how to. I said, how do I do that? They said, well, lay your hands on her and just pray what's in your heart. It'll work. And it did work. And I got in trouble <laughs> with him. <laughs> anyway, all right. Let's go, let's go over here to 1 Corinthians 12 and talk about this gift of the Spirit called the working of miracles. And so we're looking at chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, first of all. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, and that would include the cistern, <laughs> the ladies too. I'm just trying to help you when you read your Bible, you don't get confused. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. One translation says, I would not have you misunderstand this or I would not have you in darkness or something. But so now I want you to show this. God showed me this a long time ago. He said, every time you read that verse, it updates it. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, that updates it right now. Then I could just stand over here after 30 seconds. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren and sistren, I would not have you ignorant. So this is a thing God doesn't want us to un not understand because it's important. All of these gifts are supernatural. If one of them is supernatural, they're all supernatural. But I'm talking to you about the working of miracles right now. But you see that the now, and I think the now, the word now is mentioned five times in chapter 12. I've read it and read it and read it. And so he's trying to get something over to us that can happen right now. I'd like to bring it to our real attention tonight. Tonight's now. And when we get to the time when you're coming to believe, I'm going to put some of this on you. You have to have faith too. Mutual faith. We read that scripture last night, I think, for Romans 1, not 11 and 12. So it's a mutual faith. I have faith to believe with you, and you have faith to release your faith for the miracle that's a premier area in your thinking that you need God to do. Amen. And I would just make it the premier thing, not seven things, not five. Th I'm trying to make your life simple. Listen to me. People try to crowd so much in their brain, I, spiritually even, they get confused. I'm talking about the premier. And one time I think I was in this church. Well, I was in this church more than one time. But one time I preached on something about angels turning things for you. I think I taught that here. 
And, and you know, I used to teach it about myself, and it doesn't make me sound very good because I said, I don't want to do that. The angels appeared to me, started talking, and I turned them down. I know you can't believe I did that. You, you know, I can't believe you did some things too, but I'm not going to remind you of it. <laughs> what do you think of that? And I'm not asking you to get up and, you know, rat yourself out like I did on that. But finally, the Lord said to me, you make yourself sound so pitiful and terrible. Why don't you give them a chance to let the angels turn something for them? I don't think this was the first church I did. I think it was Pastor Rogan, Dr. Rogan. But I do that every time I teach on angels if I talk about the visions. And it's just worked greatly for people. All right, let's look at verse 7 here. But the manifestation of the Spirit or the appearing of the Spirit, is given to every man to profit with all. All of these gifts are given, not just for the person operating in it, but for everybody to get involved with it, to receive a miracle, and so forth and so on. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, and to another faith, or it should read special faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings, it's plural in the Greek, I don't know why they made it singular, but gifts of healings, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these nine gifts of the Spirit, I'm putting it, you know, so you understand what he's saying, works that one and the self-same Spirit, same Holy Ghost, he just manifests in different ways, dividing to every person severally uh, as he will. And it has to be as he wills. You could desire these gifts, but that doesn't mean they're going to function all of them for you. And it indicates the way this is written. That some will have this gift, some will have that gift, some will have something else. And some will have a multitude of things. I've got three or four of those that operate in my life. I didn't ask for any of them, but I figured it out over a long period of time. Amen. 52 years, that's a long time. They didn't operate immediately. I got saved 52 years ago, but then I got spirit-filled in 1978. So anyway, that gift of word of knowledge came and the working of a miracle to help Andrea get a miracle. But I think the parents just thought I was just being nice. I was trying to be nice. I was trying to help her get healed. But, you know, I was just as amazed as everybody else. I didn't get negative about it, though. I was thrilled about it. All right. So we see this. Then let's move over to, uh, it is listed here in verse 10, to another the working of miracles. That's somebody that can work a miracle. And then it's a gift of faith is normally people that receive a miracle. But you could just receive a miracle by your general faith. If you have faith to believe. Verse 28, And God set some of the church first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles. This is the way I read it because it's more accurate. No, but some are. Are all prophets? No, but some are because I'm one. Are all teachers? No, but some are. And are all workers of miracles? No, but some are. And I didn't even realize I had this gift for a long time. And then the Lord began to show me more about it and how to operate in it. So this is where we're taking off from tonight. Now, I wanted to say one thing. I had a, I, she's still in my church, Helen Ziegler. She's a mm, surgical nurse. She's retired now. I think she did that for almost 40 years. I'm not sure of the time, but at least 30, maybe 40. And she was in surgery with people all the time. And she got in the prayer line one time, but I, she's the only one I asked. I gave a word of knowledge about come up for something different than she came for. And I stopped in front of her and said, Helen, what are you doing up here? 
And that's the only one I asked. She said, well, I'm here because I have a tumor in my throat. It's growing. I'm not able to breathe right, and I'm starting to choke on my food, and I need some help. I said, Father, I curse it and command it to dissolve, and went right on with the rest of them. And she came back Sunday night. That was Sunday morning service. She's a surgical nurse. She's really, you know, some of the nurses are just more apt to understand what's really going on. She could see it in the mirror if she opened wide enough. And this now is growing to it. starting to restrict her breathing and her eating, and she's getting into almost panic mode. And she said, I went home. She said, she raised her hand. She never did that in my church. And she said, and I said, yeah, Helen, what do you got? She said, well, I would like to tell something to the whole church. I said, go ahead. You want a mic? I don't know if somebody brought her a mic. I think they did. Well, I was here this morning, and I went up for prayer, and I had a tumor in my throat. It was growing, and it began to restrict my air and restrict my ability to swallow my food. And I and said, I went home and ate lunch and took a nap, woke up and looked in the mirror, and I did, felt different. It was gone. It just disappeared. <laughs> Some people are funny. I'll tell you funny, another funny story about a lady had a tumor. She had a coat on, not like mine, but a lady's coat. She'd have a little jacket like Pastor had. And I, she was in the prayer line, and I don't know what I was praying for people about exactly, to be healed, but she said, God got anything for this. And when she did, she had the tumor on her side. It was about, if you cut a grapefruit in two and stuck it on there, it was about like that size. So I looked at that, and I didn't say anything to her. I slugged her in the side as hard as I could, and that thing just depressed. She goes, where'd it go? I said, don't look for it. Quit that. Stop that. Don't look for it. Why would you want to look for a tumor that's messing you up? It, it, where did it go? I said, well, I think life swallowed up the life of God. <laughs> I've only slugged two ladies in my life. She's one of them. Because my wife said, I mean, my mother said, never hit a woman. So I took her. I'm going to get you a new mic if you need one here. Maybe I'm just too fat in the middle. I'm just lightening the atmosphere for you. Some of you look really serious. Yeah, I slugged two women. That's what I said. So if you're a woman and want to get in line, you come at your own risk. <laughs> Uh, I'll just leave it here and give it to Dennis later. Anyway, so the other one was a lady from my church, but we went over to Louisville. Uh, what was that guy's name? I forget now. Arthur, Arthur Patterson, maybe. He's a black brother. So we would train pulpits once a year. He'd come to my church. We loved it. And his, uh, his band really was cooking. You know, they were all black. They just, not that you're black and you can sing and all that too, but in, uh, it, it is good. Don't just assume because you're dark, you're going to be anointed to play something. <laughs> well, this is going to be a good one tonight. <laughs> anyway, I gave a word of knowledge about depression. <laughs> and, and so I have a lady in my church. She's a white lady, but her name's Tawanta. And I always think of Indians when I say her name. I think, hey, yeah, 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 hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tawanta sounds like an Indian name you give your daughter. Doesn't sound like a white girl. But she came up. I'm not making fun. I'm not a racist about anything. I don't care what color you are. <laughs> anyway. I know you have a color, but that's not, that's not relevant, really. You believe God with your heart. You don't believe with your skin. Okay. So... When I got in front of Tawanta, she's a lady from my church, the Lord said, hit her in the stomach as hard as you can. 
and I, I taught, see, I told you miracles don't come because of human reasoning. Now, I'm her pastor. Her husband is with her. He's a Marine. He just got back from Afghanistan. He's 6'2". I'm 5'7". I think, oh my God, if I hit her and it don't work, he beat me up in the parking lot. <laughs> Not really, but you know, it could cause a little riff if you hit somebody's wife and it hurts them. So, so what I did is I just laid hands on her and prayed a really good pastoral prayer. <laughs> you would all be proud of me and said, amen, pastor. <laughs> and so then she started back to her seat and the Lord said, and then he screamed at me and I was the only one that heard it, but he inside he said, are you going to obey me or not? I said, Tawana, come back. God's got something special for you. <laughs> I was so glad that when she lifted her hand, she shut her eye. I let her have it right then. Boom! And when I hit her in the stomach, this evil spirit came out of her chest. It was a bird-looking creature. I've seen them before. Got a demonic head on it. And it wiggled like that, getting out of her chest, and then flew through the wall. Well, she fell out. So, you know, I don't know what, what happened to her from her side of it, but when the end of the service, she comes up to me. She said, they said, you hit me kind of hard. I said, did you feel it? I didn't feel a thing. I felt the anointing. She said, but something unusual happened. Normally, I, I kind of play with people when they tell me that because I saw it. She, I said, what happened to you? Well, and she went like this. Something came out of my chest. I said, it was a spirit of depression. It was in a bird figure, and it wiggled to get out of your chest and flew through the wall. He's gone. So I've had 100%. One had a tumor and one had a devil, and they both got delivered. So if I hit you tonight, you'd be number three. <laughs> I'm kind of teasing with you, kind of really playing with you. I think you'd want me to hit you if you could get delivered. And both of them, that lady never said I hurt her or broke her rib or nothing. I just went like that and it just mashed into her, just dissipated. Just Anyway. All right. All right. So Helen got healed and these other two ladies. I didn't slug Helen. I just laid hands on her. But what is a what is a working of a miracle? And this I wrote this in my notes a few years ago. First of all, we must respond to the Holy Spirit when he's moving. So at a certain time, in a little bit here, I'm going to say if you want a miracle and you're believing with me, you've got faith to believe on your side and i got faith to release my faith then you just come up and we'll just lay hands on you. We don't need to know what you're believing for, per se, but if you're believing and I'm believing, then it'll work. Amen. You say, well, I never got a miracle before. Well, maybe you've never been challenged before. I don't know. I'm just saying we need to all get begin to... And this is the thing, everybody in this room here, if you're in perfect health and you're out of debt and you live in divine health, you ought to be the biggest one believing for everybody to get right. But until you can do that and show me you, you, you need to get in here with me. When we come to church, we're a body. You're one body, but a lot of members. So I'm not ever thinking, well, you know, I want my kids to get blessed. No, I want everybody to get touched if they need it. Not just about me and my four. All right. So anyway, we're talking about the working of miracles. And when the Holy Ghost is moving, and I prayed about it this afternoon because I was not struggling, but I was trying to figure the flow for God for tonight's service. He said, well, teach on miracles, Michael, and just tell them you're going to agree with them. Amen. Teach it, and then just give an invitation, and people come with all different types of desires, and, but just narrow it down to the premier thing, the number one thing you want to see change. Could be your marriage, 
Could be your children, could be your job, could be the way you think, could be something you've been in bondage to and you want to get out. I mean, it could be a lot of things. You may have some mental issues. You don't need to tell me the same anointing that will get the miracle will get that stuff straightened out for you if you'll believe it. <laughs> we have a lot of success getting people healed from, I call it mental problems and uh, emotional instabilities. If you put it up in that framework. Anyway, here we're talking about working of miracles. It's a supernatural intervention in the ordinary course of nature. Like, like Helen, she's got this tumor. It started out just small, and then it grew and grew and grew until she, now it's really struggling to eat her food and swallow it appropriately because there's not enough room in there for all that. And her breathing's getting messed up because of that tumor's growing. And miracles, here's another definition. Miracles defy reason. They defy it. I mean, how would you have somebody in the stomach and a devil come out of them? Before I saw that with my own eyes, I don't know that I'd ever hit somebody to get them delivered. But God said, hit her in the stomach as hard as you can. And the word of knowledge I gave for the, that service for that moment was depression. So I knew that's what was wrong with her. And the other people, men came too. So anyway, I'm not wanting to slug anybody tonight. I don't want to make you feel uneasy. But I am batting a thousand, so... <laughs> if I'd hit 10 people and they all got tried to sue me, I'd say, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> all right. So miracles defy reason. Here's another one. Uh, it's, in the Greek, it's an explosion of energy. I had a man call the church. You know, I didn't know him. And he said to the secretary, Donna, uh, can I speak to Mike? Are you talking about Dr. Jacobs? Well, who is he? Yeah, I'm talking about him. I didn't know he had a doctor. Yeah, and we don't call him Mike. We call him Dr. Jacobs. What is it you need? Well, I want to meet with him, take him to lunch. What for? Does he know you? No. She said, well, pretty near. I'd say you're probably 99%. He's not going to do that. So why don't you just tell me, and I'll relate to him what you say, and if he wants to contact you, give me your number. He can call you back, or I'll call you. He said, okay. So Because I, I just knew from the whole scenario, he wants to take me to lunch and tell me about his troubles. Now listen to me carefully. You could learn something. You can waste your life if you want with people because everybody wants to bellyache about something. But I got better things to do. I don't, listen to me carefully here. I'm being serious. He don't need to tell me how he got in that mess and how much pain he's in and all the stuff. that He just needs to listen to me. I can tell him how to get out of that. So why do I go spend two hours with a guy that's full of unbelief? He's not going to listen to me anyway normally. So I told Donna, you call him back and tell him I have healing services every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. If he comes in and the singing's already stopped and I'm up preaching, I will not pray for him. You can tell him I said that. Because I won't notice who comes in that's a visitor. And if he won't come on time, I'm not praying. I'm going to send him right back out in the street. Because yeah. he, wants, he wants to get something from God. He needs to hear me teach about it, how to get it. Because I was having healing school teachings on Wednesday night. You know, for four or five years at a time, every Wednesday night. Yeah. Then I skipped a little bit. Then I went back to that for three or four more years. Then I skipped a little bit. Went back to it for some more time. So in the last 15 years, I probably taught on healing 12 of those years. Amen. All right, I'm just trying to explain that to you. At least you think I'm rude. No, I'm not rude. I'm smart. Yeah. If you want to listen to people's unbelief, you go ahead. But pretty soon, you'll have be full of the same thing. Exactly. Telling people your problem doesn't solve anything. And God certainly, even though I don't understand everything, I know a lot more than I tell people, but at the same time, you know, he knows what you got, what you deal with, how you got there, and why you're still there, and why it's not working. 
So I figure if he wants my help and God's help, he, and I don't know why he called me. Somebody probably told him I worked in miracles and healings and things. And I said, tell him. So he's there. When I got up to stand up to preach, I noticed this guy. I don't know him. So I preached and I said, the guy with the, he's had prostate cancer. He had it and he got healed. And then it's come back even worse. And that's what he told Donna, my secretary. So I said, well, just call him. Tell him he can come any Tuesday night. I'll pray for him. I said, is the guy here with the prostate cancer? And he went, yeah, that's me. It's the guy I said I thought I didn't know. He said, come up here. And I laid hands on him over here. And I mean, God is my witness. I laid hands on him somewhere here. These people all fell out. This front second row fell out. It's like a grenade went off. I fell back against the steps at the altar. And then he came back two weeks. He goes, you remember me? I said, no, should I? Yeah, I'm the guy that had the prostate cancer. I said, so what? What happened? I went back to the doctor. He said, I'm clean. I don't have it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You'd think a guy that couldn't get it someplace else would end up coming to your church so he could learn how to keep free. But he didn't. <laughs> I'm not mad at people. I'm just mad at silliness. People get in their head and they got all this reasoning and, and going, they need, I need to know. I don't need to know anything unless God tells me to ask you. All right. Praise the Lord. I'm, I'm trying to move faster than I'm going. If you'll just smile at me once in a while, I'll know you're <laughs> Yeah. All right. So anyway, we, we're talking about miracles. Miracles, miracles, miracles. Let me see here. Let's go to Acts 15 a minute. Acts 15, please. And we're going to look at a couple verses and a couple passages here in Acts. Acts 15, verse 12. And we'll see about these miracles because this is important to understand how they function. Uh, Acts 15, verse 12. This story about Paul and Barnabas says, uh, you with me? Acts 15, verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Saul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. I want you to catch that. God did it, but he did it through Paul and Barnabas. God did it, but he did it through those two men. These are regular, they're Holy Ghost men filled with the Spirit, but they're men. They're not God. Okay, but God wrought these things among the Gentiles by them. Now let's go over to Acts 19. I think it's important to explain a little bit of this, and we have to see it. So I'm, I hopefully this will help you. That's my goal to help you. Acts 19, 11, and 12. Acts 19, 11, and 12. Very familiar to most of us that are full gospel people. And God wrought special miracles. I think the Greek says extraordinary miracles. I mean, it's one thing to be a miracle. This is exceptional miracles by the hands of Paul. Notice God did it by Paul's hands. What was ministered to them came through Paul's hands, but it was God's power doing it. So that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. I think I told you about that girl, little girl, seven years old, trying to go into puberty, her body was, and strange stuff, and that, that stopped. But I remember a lady I had in my church named Ernestine Smith, and she said, uh, Dr. Jacobs, would you pray over a prayer cloth for my sister? I said, where's your sister at? She lives in uh, New Jersey. And actually, she's in the state mental hospital because she went through a terrible divorce. Her husband got the kids. 
course, when they say that, I don't, that doesn't mean that she's the culprit. I mean, I, marriages are marriages. You know, it takes one, two people, right? And I think both of them are probably guilty of something or it wouldn't have ended. And so she's in the state mental hospital. I said, well, are you driving it up there? How are you going to get her the cloth? Well, my mother lives there in New Jersey, and I'm, I talked to her, told her I would talk to you about it. So I, I prayed over a prayer cloth. They mailed it, put it on the lady's gown in the hospital, and she became normal in two weeks. She'd been there a year already. She became normal in two weeks, and she got out of the hospital, state mental hospital. Now, hospitals are hospitals, but some of them are just fancier. I've been in different ones. The state mental hospital is like, oh my, it's like a bad movie. I mean, they got carcetina, I don't know how you say that, wire, keeping people out, and got big fences. Anyway, been in a lot of places to cast the devil out of people. And most of it worked. Of course, I had, did I tell you about the 14-year-old girl I went to pray for? Did I tell you it's the whole church? I didn't tell it. Okay, well, I had this couple in my church. They were well-dressed. They could talk intelligent. But I didn't know them. They'd only been with me about six weeks, and they called me after Sunday morning. Can we talk to you, man? I said, yeah, go ahead and talk. I'm not going to go to the office. Well, our, uh, our daughter, we just had her committed. I said, I know you had a daughter. How old is she? 14. Why did you have her committed? They put her in a Catholic mental hospital. Uh, they said, well, she snuck out at night through the window in her bedroom and was having sex with boys and doing drugs. And we just had her committed. Well, somebody in the church told us you cast out devils. I said, I do if they need it. And secondly, I'll talk to you in just a second here. First of all, would you agree with me to be with me when I deal with her? They said, yeah, okay. I said, and then you're going to do what I say. You're not going to argue with me about it all the time, are you? Because I'm not going to fool with you if you're going to argue. Because I'll just mess your daughter up more to get her free, and then she's got to live with you, and you don't think right, if that's the case. Oh, we're totally committed to be with you at the hospital. I said, okay, I'm going to call over there and make an appointment to come see this girl. She's 14 years old, having sex with boys, maybe even girls, I don't know. You know, people just say the lightest thing, but you know, everything's so distorted now. You ever know the truth, unless God tells you. But anyway, she's already exposed to drugs and sexual things, which are two of the most powerful things that can happen to a human being in their flesh. And so I go, so I make arrangements to go. I check in downstairs, they check my ID. Take me upstairs. A guy goes with me and orderly unlocks the door, throws, pushes me in. Say the guy on the other side is going to lock it back. And when you get done at that room that she's in, because I said I was going to see her, her parents were already there. Then you have to find the orderly. He'll have to unlock this to get you out of here. I said that's fine. So they, the guy on the inside said she's in room twelve. Uh, you're Dr. Jacobs, yeah. And this is Rebecca's in room twelve. So I go down this hall. I knock on the door, come in, there's mom and dad. And the girl runs from me to the furthest corner of the room. This is just demonic stuff. And she whimpers like a, like a little puppy. You beat it with a paper and it goes, <laughs> I said, that's just, that's just the devil working on her. Let's go. You said you'd go with me. I want you to go over there with me. I'm going to do the casting out, but I want you with me. And he grabbed my arm like that. And I said, what's the matter with you? Well, my wife and I have been thinking. I said, oh, my God. I bet I could tell you what you've thought about, but go ahead and tell me just for fun. I'd like to know. Well, I was starting to get hot. <laughs> well, we decided we don't need your help. We don't want your help. I said, so you'd rather let your daughter stay in here. And this, I'm not anti-doctor. I'm not anti-medicine. Let me tell you how I think. If you don't have enough faith to get it and they give you a terminal deal, you'd be smart to get the surgery unless you want to get buried. Yeah. 
If you don't have faith to get over it, they, the doctors can help you with pain and whatever. So I'm not anti-anything, but I've been in a mental hospital as a patient. I think sometimes when I preach this, people think I still belong there, but I don't. <laughs> see, that, see what I tell you, the, the enemy of miracles is human reasoning. Yeah. Mom and dad are talking. Now they don't want me. I'm standing in the room. She's over there whimpering. That's just a play of the devil. I've, I've had people growl at me like a junkyard dog. Yeah, one lady growled at me one time, but she sounded vicious. She's an older lady anyway, but I just jumped on her. You jumped on a lady? Yeah, I jumped on her and said, come out of her. She fell on the floor, and her, her brother, who looked like a biker, he had a rag on his head, had one of those wallets with a chain, <laughs> had biker boots. He said, the first thing he said, I said, what do you need? I, I would, had a big day that day. I'll just tell you the whole story. I know you wouldn't hear it. I'd been there since 8 in the morning, did counseling, did studies, did this, talked to the staff, yada, yada, yada. You know, being in the ministry's work, I don't know if you realize that. You know, we're all not just hanging out at Starbucks all day. And so... My wife said, there's a guy, I'm back in my office, and she's there, and my, my wife's there, my daughter's there, Jessica, my son-in-law, Jacob, he's 6'2". He happens to stay in the foyer. I don't know why he got there uh, with this guy who's really tall. He, and my wife came back and said, honey, there's a guy who looks like a biker. He said he wants to talk to the pastor. I said, well, tell him to go on. I've not got time for this. I've been here all day, put a fork in me, I'm done. And then Jesus did me this way. I remind him of this every time I tell it. He said, Michael, you could help him if you want to. What kind of deal is this? You ever had Jesus talk to you like that, real sweetie, sweetie? You could help him if you want to. Like, if I don't, I'm totally a junkyard something. I don't know. That's what happened. I said, thanks a lot. I'll remember this. I may ask you for a favor. No, I'm just... So I said, okay, honey. She heard her arms going for the knob to step out there and tell him I'm not coming. I said, tell him I'll be there in a minute. So I go in there, and he's 6'2", and I'm 5'7". He's got the thing. He looks like a biker. He drove up on a car, though, I found out later, and he said, I tried to cast the devil out of my sister, and it scared the S-H-I-T out of me. <laughs> I mean, he said the word. I said, I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> and he said, it scared that out of me. I said, oh. You, I wanted to say, you big sissy, take those boots off. Give me that bandana and that thing with the chain. What is your deal? I'm just a mild-mannered pastor, but I'm not afraid of the devil. Well, maybe I'm not too mild-mannered, but anyway. I said, well, where is your sister? She's out in the car. Well, go get her and bring her in. I'll minister to her. This lady gets out of the car. She's so funny. She's got a purse and she walks like this. And she gets on the end of this entrance rug, and I'm about this far away from her, and she starts barking at me. I mean, like a vicious dog. My son was coming down the hall. He turned the corner and saw this old lady barking and growling at me. And it's like a chatty Kathy. Back down the hall, he went. <laughs> and my wife and my daughter are in the blinds in the office looking Jacob was the only one with me, but I wasn't afraid of him anyway to begin with. So I jumped on her and I said, come out of her. And she fell out and he looked at me and said, my God, preacher, you killed her. I said, she'll be back. She'll be back. Just give her a minute. 
You don't wear biker boots and bandanas and act like you're a bad motor scooter when you're not bad at all. You <laughs> uh, shouldn't be doing that to impress anybody with your badness anyway. Anyway. Uh, did I read this verse in Acts 19? I think I did. All right, praise God. Let's think about this a minute. Let's go, let's go back to Acts 8 a minute. Acts 8. I, you don't mind me telling these stories, do you? I mean, I am not embellishing anything. It's just the way it went down. And she got delivered, and I said to him, well, you can come back to church and learn something from me. Bring her with you. Then I told the, the ushers, I said, just pay attention. This guy comes in, looks like a biker. He's pretty big and wears motorcycle boots and all that, and the, his sister. But they never showed up. Anyway, I, try, I did my best to help him, but you can't control people. All right, let's look at this. this is in the ministry of Philip, I think. Uh, starting in verse 4, uh, Acts 8, 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Or he was preaching about the anointing that was on Jesus. You know Christ is not Jesus' last name, don't you? The word Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one. So when you talk about that, you really think, when you see the word Christ, you should interpret it in your head. He's talking about the anointed one and his anointing. And Philip had a little part of that because he was under Jesus. And the people with one accord take heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles, the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many. He's got a deliverance ministry like I do from that. And were possessed with him many that were possessed with him. And, men, and really it should just said had a devil. It doesn't mean they were totally possessed. Some could have been, but maybe probably not all of them taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. So I looked up this word lame several years ago because I had a little boy in my church. He had, uh, let, me, let me give you the definition for the thing about lameness here. It says, uh, it says body parts, especially limbs that are disabled or impaired. So I had this little boy in my church. Let's call him Steve. And he was 10 years old, and he had muscular dystrophy, I think's right. And his hand was like this. It was almost like it was glued to this side. He didn't go like that ever. It just, and then that leg he drug like this. Ten years old. In my his mother's a registered nurse. His father's an EMT guy. They're both medical people. And so I preached on faith. I said, anybody need to get healed today? And here came Steve. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm going to be healed today. I said, you sure are. And laid hands on him. He said, thanks. I said, you got it. And he went back like that. I think the people thought me and him were crazy. Because I said, you sure do got it, but he's dragging that leg and he's got his hand on his hip. But he went back home with his mom and dad. Within a month, <clears throat> now this doesn't sound like a big thing to say, but I tell you, as a young boy, he could zip his own pants. He had never, mommy had to zip him up. Yeah. Mommy had to button him. Because he couldn't do all that with one hand. And so, <laughs> within six months, that arm had straightened up, became functional, and another few months, that leg's turned around, and he's walking normal. <laughs> So within a year's time, he was playing basketball on the junior high team. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that's a miracle. But it took some time. You know, if you just looked at it immediately, say, you know, pastor, he's not right. And that little boy, I don't know what they're thinking. We're in faith is what we're doing, me and him. I don't know that his parents believed for him, but I think they wanted to see him healed. But maybe they did. Anyway, we got him healed. I thank God for that. 
And I think I told you about the Canadian lady while I've been here, or did I, in Peru? Did I tell about her? We, went, we were in Lima, Peru. I went with Dr. Dufresne. Pastor Dennis was with me, and I, he doctor asked me to get up and preach one night. And I told about a lady in Indiana that had scoliosis, crooked spine. It can go like this, or it can go in and out, and you're, you know, but it's not normal. It should be straight, not like this, or not in and out. It's going to be problems in your walk and problems in your spine. So this lady I prayed for, and she fell on the floor on her back. I mean, somebody caught her, but she fell, and I went on praying for other people, and the Lord said, turn around. There's an angel standing over her. He put his hand right through her midsection, grabbed her tailbone, went one time, boom. And, and I was in the spirit, so I saw her spine go, straighten right up. She came back the next night and said, I went home with my husband. He checked me, and my back straighter than his. So I told about her in Indiana, and there's a lady from Canada in the meeting in Lima, Peru, and she doesn't, she, I don't know if she spoke Spanish, but she caught me the next day coming in. Dr. Jacobs, Andre. I said, yes, ma'am. I said, do you remember me? I said, I don't think so. Were you, why should I? Well, I was in your prayer line last night. I wanted to tell you, though, I wouldn't have came forward, but you told about the lady in Indiana that had scoliosis, and I had scoliosis until this morning. I got in your prayer line last night. I didn't feel a thing when you touched me. I also had a knot. She went like that in my spine that radiated pain constantly. And I woke up this morning, it's gone. The knot's gone, my spine straight, my husband checked me. Well, she saw something to me. You know, I've heard people talk like that before about because you told this or that. And that's why sometimes anymore in my meetings, I carry groups of things that I could share with you uh, it, that's happened in our life. I'm going to hurry up here because it's getting later. I can't read that clock in the back, but I can read my watch. You everybody ever say that? In the pulpit. Oh, hey, little buddy. <laughs> I must be pretty, pretty out there. Maybe I didn't even notice it. And it just says what my watch says. Good deal. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. And I was in Nashville, Tennessee, and I wrote it in here, April 2008. 2008 was a mega year for me with God. Just a lot of supernatural things happened. But Dr. Dufresne laid hands on me and said, you're going to begin to see creative miracles, Michael. So, hallelujah. I was in Charles Cowan's church. He asked me to come uh, preach at his place, do a Sunday morning to the whole congregation in the Bible school night, talk about spiritual fathers. So, but anyway, in the morning... I, he was, I said, can you teach something that does with, with all our vision will continue? I said, are you talking about just money or what? Well, I, that's included. I said, well, I do a teaching on angels and money. I, would it be okay to teach that? Yeah. And so I'm up there teaching about angels and money, and all of a sudden angels start flying in. He's got a real tall roof, about four times that high, and he's got a balcony in the back. So the angels, they filled up the whole roof of that church, 1,200 people. And I said, to, when I got done, I said, we're going to release our faith for you to be obedient to God and give to the church so that you can finish up whatever, finish the vision thing. And I said, the angels here, I'm going to release them for you and with you. And I'm going to say to them, go. And they all took off when I prayed for the people that had given. And then a healing anointing hit me. And I said to the pastor, I says, I'd like to obey God. That'd be okay. He said, sure. I said, anybody got any kind of problems with your bones? I'd like you to come. And my wife said that I... She thought I prayed for 300 people. I said, how'd you figure that? Well, I counted across the front. There's 50 people lined up each time, and they came six times. 
and lined up like that. So I get in the green room, and then I, I shut the service down to give it back to the pastor, whatever he, and I went back to the green room, and the, the two drivers that are taking my wife and I from the hotel to the church, they got this lady between them. They're kind of got, holding her up, but she can stand. I said, do you remember this lady? I said, I've never seen her before, have I? She was in your prayer line. I said, I'm sorry, I don't, it, I don't know how many there was. I know I went down the prayer line five or six times. And this is what this guy said. I want to show you what she looked like trying to get up to the, to the altar. And it was, I'm not making fun of this. You know, she had rheumatoid arthritis. She's about 45 years old. Said she was doing that, but she can run. I said, run, lady, and I'll run with you. And we just took off running in the green room. <laughs> totally normal. Everything straightened out. Legs, arms, neck, everything. And then that night when I came back, we did a Bible school, and Pastor Cowan personally brought this lady to me. She had long dreadlocks, and she said, he said to me, he said, this is Dr. Jacobs, and her name is whatever, I forget. But she said, let me have your hand, doctor. She took her dreadlocks to the side and put my hand on her neck. I said, well, it feels just like mine, the regular neck. She said, I know, but I had bone spurs this morning sticking out the back of my neck that far. I don't know if you know about bone spurs. They are tremendously painful. You can get them in your feet, your heels, uh, your spine. You can get them anywhere where you have bones, but they protrude and they cause a lot of problems. And the girl said, I, I had a bone spur in the back of my neck. I couldn't hardly function. By the time I got back to my seat from when you touched me at the altar, it disappeared. <laughs> hey, a miracle. I didn't even have to slug her. Catch up with me. Okay. I'm going to tell you maybe one more, and then maybe I'll read some of these. Is that okay? I'm just getting ready to pray, getting wound up here. I wanted to tell you about Miriam Cabrera. She's a Honduran lady, and I was in Honduras. I used to go every year for about 10 or 12 years, at least once a year and sometimes more. And I could just tell about her. I don't have her on paper here. But she, uh, she took a liking to me and my group. I was from America, and I'd come down and work with this missionary and his wife. And uh, they owned a restaurant in Tegucigalpa, which is the capital of Honduras. And in a mall, they had a, he's like a, what do you call it, a Cajun cook, like from New Orleans area. But they live in Tegucigalpa now. And she liked me, and he liked me, and they loved me. I don't know. And she had two or three kids. And when I'd go with my group, I'd have seven or eight people. She would have us over for lunch one day. So I, the night before I'm in the church preaching, I had a word of knowledge about anybody with spine problems from the top all the way to the bottom. Well, I went down through there. She was in the line, rather petite young lady, kind of like Rochelle, kind of, you know, just, uh, and she was there like that, and I hit her in the head, and she just stood there, and I went on down. So the next day I'm at her house, and she says, Dr. Jacobs, I want you to sit here, Pastor so-and-so. She said, but I want to talk to you, doctor. What, what happened to me? I said, yeah, I, did they tell you I hit you kind of hard? She said, no, and I didn't feel anything, but what I did feel it's an electric something in the bottom of my neck start down my spine when you touch me. It got to my, my tailbone area. She said, what happened? I, I cracked my tailbone when I was six years old. And she said, as I've grown and I had three children, it's continually gotten worse. I can't even make it to school with them. I have to stop two times in the van and get out and walk around because it's too excruciating. And I can't sit right either because it's, it's cracked down where you sit kind of and it irritates it. <laughs> she said, I, I said, well, how bad was your pain level? She said, excruciating. 
I said, and I said, because you know me, and I normally wouldn't say this to a woman, but I've been coming to your, you know, to your home for seven or eight years. I know you and your husband quite well. How old are you? She said, I'm 41. Are you telling me you had excruciating pain in your tailbone area for 35 years? Yes, that's what I'm telling you. I have no pain whatsoever now. <laughs> and then I had a lady in my church that was a missionary part-time down there, and she went down there like 15 or 20 years after that occurred. And I said, if you run into Miriam, her name was Miriam Cabrera, ask her how she's doing in her back, her spine, tailbone. I said, tell Dr. Jacobs I've never had another symptom. She said when, when he put his hand down there, he grabbed the bottom of that tailbone and above it went like this. And it said all the pain left. He could have gave her a new tailbone for all I know. But she told me she couldn't even get to school with the kids. It's like a 10-minute drive or 15. Because she was just sitting, it was just too hard for her. I'd say that's a miracle. <laughs> oh, I got wonderful things here. Let me see. Here, here's a gentleman named Benjamin. I may have told you about him. I've been in so many churches recently, I don't know where I told what. So listen, if you've heard it around, just smile and act like, that's great. Don't go, we heard it before, stop. No. I'll just pick out two or three because of time. This young man's named Benjamin. He was, I think he was 22 when I met him. But he had these cysts that were on his rear end. He says nine of them when he was in high school. And he said, I, I was very embarrassing and painful, the symptoms, and I hate to be graphic, but this is what he wrote. They bleed and they have pus in them. And I decided to go to the hospital to get them removed because I couldn't get any relief. And he said they would burst it at school and my pants would be wet in the back and it would smell terrible and I'd have to go home and change my clothes and underwear. I think about that, a young man, junior high, senior high, you know, he, I think he said senior high that started. And he said, I tried everything, and I was, so I went to a surgeon. He said, I'm going to have to cut him out. So he cut him out then when he was younger in high school. Um, then he said in 2019, the symptoms came back. We were ready to go to the hospital, even though my faith was that it would be supernaturally healed. I heard that Dr. Jacobs was coming. I didn't know him. He was from a different church than I was ministering in, but he came to the church where I was preaching in February, and that was all I needed to set my faith to. I set my faith in my prayers that when Dr. Jacobs laid his hands on me that I would be healed. So now he has the tumors. They've come back and brought their cousins, and he's got all these uh, tumors on his rear end, which is very painful, he said, and they would burst open. And Well, you know if it's got pus in it, it's an infection of some sort. And it said he laid hands on me, and he said when he laid hands on me that I would be healed. When he prayed for me, I didn't feel anything. See, this is a guy that's in faith. He doesn't have to feel anything. He, he said his faith when I laid hands on him, he'd be healed. And he said I'd already been back to the surgeon, talked to him about making a date to have these cut out. But I was in faith with you, and I was healed. And I prayed for me, and I didn't feel anything, but I kept my faith up. And the next day, I had no symptoms, and everything was gone. <laughs> it disappeared. I probably told about this young lady before, but this is a powerful testimony. I was in New York, Long Island, and I preached two, two years in a row. The second year I went, a young lady came up to me. She said, my name is Maureen Mueller. I'm 30 years old and been saved a little over two years, have had depression most of my life, and have been on Prozac since 25 years old. And she's 29 when she got healed. Dr. Jacobs came to my church and laid his hands on me, and since then I've been free from depression and Prozac. 
Well, when she told me that, I said, I didn't tell you to quit doing your Prozac, did I? And I knew Prozac. I'm not real familiar with all the newer drugs because I'm an addict from the 70s. But uh, I know that when you deal with something antidepressant, it has things in it that mess with your brain chemistry and begins to take over different things. Maybe I'm not saying it exactly right if you're a person who knows all about drugs, but still. And so it got me. I said, you mean you quit taking Prozac and you've been taking it for four years? Yep. I don't know her dosage, but then I shared this in a church, and the lady said, I'm going to go home and ask my husband. He's a drug salesman, and he, she came back and said, you know, I think it's going to take a lot longer. You can't go cold turkey off stuff that regulates your brain with chemicals because you have a meltdown. So I'm on a plane going to California, and the guy comes in. He says, by me, what do you do for a living, sir? I said, I'm a preacher. What do you do? He said, I'm a pharmacist. I said, I've been looking for you, and he went, look. You have? I said, yeah, I want to tell you a story, can I? I'm a preacher. I prayed for this young lady in New York. She was on Prozac for four years every day, and I don't know the dosage amount, but, and he said, well, it doesn't matter. Her body's saturated with it. What did she do? I prayed for her for depression, but she took herself cold turkey off the Prozac immediately, and she said she had no side effects. He said, that's impossible. He said she would have a meltdown, probably have to go to the mental hospital to get calmed down or shoot her full of something else because that fools with your brain chemistry up here to make you to be a, a, when you deal with antidepressant drugs. And he said, I said, well, how long would it normally take an average person? Regardless of the dosage, at least 12 weeks. So he said, I would say to you, Mr. Jacobs, the miracle was in the fact she could come off Prozac and have no side effects. I just thought that was something. Yeah, pharmacist, 12 weeks is what he told me. Hallelujah. But I do, I do want to say something about one of these. I have them back here. I had a man and a woman healed of HIV. And I used Joel 321 to help them because it says, I will cleanse their blood that was not cleansed. You know, HIV is a virus and it gets in your blood and all that. So these are the lab reports from the hospitals they went to to get checked after I prayed for them. Uh, this one is on the lady, and they had their different things written from weeks and months before, and then she, it said the last thing, non-detectable. This one's from the guy, and he has his things here, and it says everything is normal. <laughs> so they both got totally delivered from the virus. Yeah, I, I'm not a miracle worker, but I work for a guy that does that. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. To view Dr. Jacobs' travel itinerary, order products, and more, please visit cotrin.org slash mjm.